Uh, turn with me to Psalms chapter 34, verse 18. And you'll be happy to know this morning that I've got a sticky note of notes. So surely I can't read off that sticky note for very long. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Title of my message is The Broken Place, the place where the brokenhearted are. It says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. <clears throat> you know, there, uh, if you do a study of, um, if you do a study of the different false religions, you'll see that a lot of them have a different definition of what God's character is like, what His uh, personality is like. Psalm thirty-four, eighteen. is that what I said? Should be the right one. Yeah, thirty-four, eighteen. the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, save those who have a crushed spirit. Okay, that's not the Book of Mormon, is it? Okay, I just want to make sure. <laughs> I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I was uh, actually, I'm usually, I get those things wrong a lot. So try as it wasn't me for once. <clears throat> um, but there's a lot of, uh, if you study false religions, they... Uh, they have an idea of the character and personality of God. And how many know as, as you begin to have a relationship with the Lord, um, you, one, one thing that's really important is to understand who He is. You know, in any relationship, you need to figure out the character and the personality of the person that you're in the relationship with. And the better you know that person, the better you know what their tendencies and their attitudes are and their way that they behave uh, in fact, you'll get so good at knowing some people you're in a relationship with that you'll have a good idea how they're going to react when you do something. And so it's real important that we understand the character of God because as you begin to study false religions and different false gods, you begin to understand that there's a, um, there are extremes. You know, there are some gods that uh, they serve falsely that they believe he's very aloof, that he stands in the heavenlies and really doesn't have a whole lot of uh, concern about those little people that are down below. And you'll find the God of Islam is very much like that. They'll tell you that uh, he doesn't really, um, he doesn't really, um, he stands above everybody and doesn't really have a close relationship with the people. You can't really know him. He's so transcendent that you just can't know him. He's kind of aloof. And uh, so that's a different God than the one that I'm going to tell you about today because he's not like that. You know, he makes sure that he lets people know that he's not like that. And then there are some that are very directly involved. They're not passive at all. And it's the opposite end of the spectrum. They're very aggressive and very angry and you know, they constantly have to be appeased and they constantly um, um, are, are just very difficult to deal with. 
And so as you begin to study false religions, you'll realize that they go to great extremes to appease that God. And how many know, based on how you interpret that character of that individual or person or your personal Savior to be, is how you're going to behave. And so it's very important to understand what kind of... uh, character that God has when it comes to us. So I'm going to read a few verses that go along with that. God is is revealing himself as somebody that is close to those who have a broken heart and somebody that wants to save people that have a crushed spirit. So what we should begin to find in the Bible, if this is something that is an attribute of God, we should find lots of places in the Bible where somebody is broken hearted and God's near. Or somebody whose spirit has been crushed and God is there to save them. That's what we should find. Listen to some of these other scriptures that just tell you about the character of God. It says, Blessed are those, in Matthew 5, 4, Blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted. So this is the person that's mourning. God's right there comforting them. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Father of compassion. The Father of all compassion. That means that all compassion was born in Him. So if you have compassion today, he's the father of it. And it says, in the God of all comfort, not just some comfort, he's the God that all comfort proceeds out of. He comforts us in all of our troubles. So we can comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from this God. So this is a God that really, as you begin to know his character, really is close to the brokenhearted. Psalm 147.3, it says, He heals the brokenhearted, and get this. Think of this mental picture. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Literally is there dressing and binding, almost like a nurse would take care of a patient. God does that. I want you to think, before I move on to the next verse, I want you to think the reasons why we're wounded so many times. Sometimes it's not any fault of our own. And sometimes we're wounded, the Bible says, without any cause. You know, we just do things that are destructive. We know it's destructive and we're wounded. And and God is there to heal the wounds. You know, a lot of those wounds that we have are just rebellion against God. But some false religions, God's not close. He stands aloof or he's not easy to please. This God, even if you rebel against him, he still will heal your wounds. He'll bind their wounds. He'll care for your wounds. It's amazing. Romans 15.4 For whatever things were written before for our learning... They were through the patient and comforts of the scriptures so that we might have hope. 
Psalm 23, 4, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So here I am walking through shadows and darkness and death and fear. I will fear no evil because you, you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Praise God. Psalm 94, 19. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comfort delights my soul. Praise God. So as we begin to look, uh, Psalm 34, I'm looking for the place of the brokenhearted. I'm looking for where their heart is broken and where are they going to. and who, How's God finding them? And does God find them? Does God look for them? And Psalm 34 is a really good example. I think this is maybe one of the lowest, if not the lowest point of David's life. He had several low points in his life. And this is one really low point. God has ordained David and and, and basically blessed David and said that David, he, he was anointed with oil by Samuel and knew that he was going to be the king after Saul. But the moment he finds out the promise and God puts his blessing on him, you would think that there would be a coronation. You would think that David would walk right into the throne and begin to fulfill his purpose and fulfill his calling and, and everything. You know, we all want everything to be like a Disney movie. And sometimes that really ruins our theology because life isn't always a Disney movie. For some reason, there's a lot of things in this life that we have to go through. There are anxieties. There are shadows of death. There are dark places. There are valleys in life. There are troubles that we're going to go through. And my point today is not to dissect each of those issues, but to understand what happens when we're in that place that we're broken, because we are going to be broken, whether we're a Christian or we're not a Christian. We're going to be crushed by this world. There's so many things in this world, and there are so many reasons why it's true. This world has a crushing effect. And there's something about that crushing that whenever we're crushed, beautiful worship comes out of us. And there's something about not having God in our life that when we have the same crushing, it destroys us. The crushing of evil, the crushing of this world, the crushing of disappointments, the crushing of grief. There's so many things that take us to this place that we have to know the nature of God who seeks us out when we're brokenhearted and when we're crushed. And David is it a place where he was anointed king. And Psalm 34 was written during a period of time when David was running for his life. And he found himself in the hands of the family of Goliath. Okay, that doesn't mean a whole lot to you. But when you're the one that slayed Goliath, he was slain by you, then it's a little frustrating when you find yourself in their presence running for your life. So David is at a very low point. He feels very insecure, not protected. He feels like God maybe is 
just letting things go out of control here and chaotic. He finds himself running for his life, running to this king, and David begins to act like an insane man. He begins to, the Bible says he begins to let saliva drip down his beard. He begins to act like he's a crazy man. And so they look at, take one look at him and said, he's crazy. And they, and they let him go. Because he's crazy. Well, David runs back to the cave and he's just staying in a cave completely isolated, hiding for his life because Saul is tra- chasing him with an army trying to kill him. And what's amazing is David is broken. There are purposes here in David's life. David writes this psalm running for his life. God is crushing David. We we see purpose in what God is doing in the future of David. God has brought him in, a shepherd boy, and brought him out a king. Okay, he taught him how to trust God in a cave. He, He learned how to trust God in this place. And God is doing something very valuable in his life. If David were to skip this part of his life, David would never accomplish anything for God. This is a critical part of David's life to learn to trust God at all times. And as David is in this cave, and by the way, he's in a cave right outside the area where he slayed Goliath, right in the area where he grew up, and he's in this cave and somebody finds him there. Because David says, God is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Now why would he say that unless God found him in the cave? Why would he say that unless God was near to David in the lowest point of his life, when he feels the most insecure, where he feels the most crushed, where he feels the most isolated and the most abandoned. But God looked for David when nobody else could find him. He was hiding out. God found him. God pursued him and found him because he is the God who seeks out the brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit. Genesis chapter 16. If you want to turn there or you can just listen. Genesis 16. Abraham had a um, girl in the house by the name of Hagar. And the Bible says Sarah began to mistreat Hagar. And so she fled their household. Now, how insignificant do you think it is to the world that this young, I don't know how old she was, this girl, woman, however old she was, how insignificant to the world do you think it is that she fled for her life and ran into a wilderness? But it says, Then Sarah mistreated Hagar and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her near a spring in the desert. It was that spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, why have you come and where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah. She answered, then the angel of the Lord told her, go back 
and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants. They will be too numerous for you to count. The angel of the Lord also said, uh, go down to verse 13. It says, she gave this place the name that the Lord, the name up to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who what? Sees me. For she said, I have seen the one. Capitalized. Now what's that mean when it's capitalized? One. That means deity. In the Bible when it's capitalized like that, that means she's seen God. So she's named this place after the God who's seen her in the desert when she was all alone. Now how different is this than some of the false gods that you study in other religions? The ones that are aloof are the ones that are hard to please. Here's this girl that may be insignificant to the whole world, but the God of heaven is pursuing her all alone in the desert. And the God of heaven comes and finds her in the desert and begins to give promises to her in her lowest point in her life. Let me give you another one. And I'm just getting into my notes here. 1 Kings chapter 19. I don't think I can read that writing anyway. It's too small. 1 Kings chapter 19. You know, there are a lot of reasons that take us to this place. Where we're broken. And some of the things that you learn about God, you learn in this broken place. How many know that? You learn more about God when you're broken and when you're crushed than any other part of your life, I think. And so there are certain things you find out about God when He meets you there. Now, Elijah was in this place. In fact, um, it says, uh-oh. Elijah comes down off of Mount Carmel and he just had a great victory over the prophets of Baal. Wonderful victory. He comes down and it says in chapter 19 verse 1, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Jezebel sent a messenger, Elijah, to say, May the gods deal with me ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make you your life like those, like one of them. Elijah was what? Afraid, and he ran for his life. He came to Beersheba and Judah. He left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to the broom tree, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Have you ever been to the end of your rope and said, Lord, I've had enough? Lord, I can't do this anymore. Now, what was the reason he was there? He was from a wicked nation. He had a nation that couldn't quit sinning. He was a good man. He was preaching the gospel. He was worn out. Okay, and you say, God, I don't want to be crushed. Now, there's a God of heaven that is there to bind your wounds. He's with you. What's that tell me about this God? My God is with me and he's saying, son or daughter, it must be. It has to happen. 
David, it has to happen. If he's a God that could deliver David, if he's a God that could have taken David out of that cave, he would have done it. But he's in that place there with David, who's crushed in his spirit, who is really, really down. And God is telling him by his presence being there that, son, it has to be this way. When Elijah ran into the wilderness, it says that he was under a broom tree and he wanted to die. And it says he's had enough. Take my life, Lord. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. And it says, all at once an angel touched him and said, Elijah, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him. He said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, and he drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights till he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. He went into a cave and he spent the night. And then the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I'm very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They broke your altars. They put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me. The Lord said, go stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. The Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart, scattered the rocks before the Lord. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. The Lord was not in the wind. Now the Lord is not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was a gentle whisper. Elijah heard it. He pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again. I've been very zealous for the Lord. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broke down your altars, put your prophets to death, and I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus, and when you get there, anoint uh, Hazel king over Aram. So God finds the prophet Elijah. But do you understand that God could not change the wicked nation. This nation would not repent. This nation was rebellious. This prophet of God was physically exhausted. How many know that? How many have ever been under the attack of the enemy? How many have ever been exhausted? How many have ever walked out in this world and said, Man, I just don't know. This world is so wicked. This world is so wicked. And man, you just feel shell-shocked. How many have ever heard of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder? Or they've had a lot of different names over over the years, and it's just like, man, you've been in the middle of a fight, and you've just been constantly embattled by the enemy. And so this is depression that's upon this man of God. What is depression? I wrote this down. To push or pull down... To sink. I've ever felt that. To lower your spirit, to sadden, to remove your courage, to make gloomy, to lower you in value or price. I mean, no, this was depression. 
that this prophet was feeling. The place that he was going to was just the spirit of depression was upon him. And it was because of the fact that there was an evil world around him. And God finds him in that place, lifts him up, feeds his soul, and delivers him from depression. Lifts him back up and he says, hey, I have a plan. I have a plan. Let's go back and let's anoint this person. Then he introduces him to Elisha, who's plowing a field. Says, hey, I'm ready. Let's go. But how many know if the enemy would have been successful... If he wouldn't have known that God was near, if he didn't know that God's character was to find him in the broken place, Elijah wouldn't have done anything for God. David would not have done anything for God if God had not found him in that cave. If God would not have found, I mean, who was looking for Elijah under that broom tree? Why would God care about a little girl in the desert who's ran away because she's been mistreated? Why would God care about David, who's a nobody in a cave at that time? Why would God go look for him? Why would God go look for Elijah under a broom tree ready to die? Because God is close to the brokenhearted. God cares. He's the God that has that character about him. Give you another one. Jeremiah. Lamentations 5, and I'm not going to take you there. Well, I will take you there. Lamentations 5. There's a reality here that Jeremiah is seeing. Lamentations right after Jeremiah. It's kind of tucked in there, real small book. Lamentations is all about the destruction of Jerusalem. And how many know whether you're Christian, non-Christian, believer, non-believer... During this period of time, no matter who you are, the city is still destroyed. The city is still in ruins. The city uh, has suffered great loss. And so it's crushing for everybody. It's crushing to walk around. Do you know, do you all know the impact that Jeremiah had to feel to see everything destroyed? And the ransack of this city was so great and the loss of life was so great. This is grief. How many have ever had loss? And what happens is the Bible takes you to places that their loss is so severe that it usually is much more severe than anything we'll ever see in our life. The ones that I'm going to take you through, how many have ever been in a cave running from an entire army? How many have ever got thrown into your enemy's camp and uh, their relative you had slain with a slingshot? Okay, these are things that are more severe than a lot of the things that we face. And it's showing that people trust God and God lifts them up even out of these severe circumstances. So we can take comfort in the fact that God was there for them, so He will be there for us. We can take comfort in the fact that God was able to elevate them out of their depression because it's so much more serious usually. How many of you know the things that Job went through? We're probably not going to go through that much. We might, I don't know, I can't promise you that. Don't go back and say, I promised. But it's so severe, the amount of children that he lost, the crops that he lost, the livestock that he lost, the, you know, everything that he lost, his health. I mean, severe depression. And Lamentations, you go through here, and in 
Jeremiah is just crying out for the loss. Remember, O oh Lord, what happened to us. Look at us and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to aliens, our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans. We are fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. We must buy water. The water we drink, our wood can only be bought at a price. Those who pursue us are at our heels. We are weary. We find no rest. We've submitted to Egypt and Assyria to get bread. Our fathers sin and are no more, and we bear their punishment. We are ruled over. There's none to free us from their hands. We get our bread at the risk of our lives. I mean, oh, this is a dire situation. I mean, a foreign enemy has came in, ransacked their city, and now they're in bondage. Okay, and he's very severe. And and and, and when you begin to look, you know, this, this is not a whole lot different than, than us. How many know that we look around our city and we see the destructive effects of the enemy? Sometimes you're in a family where you can't do anything about it. How many have ever been in a situation where God's hand of judgment is upon that family for the way they've lived? And you've got to live in that home. You've got to live in that city. You've got to live in that country. You've got to live in a place where there's a lot of things going on that we don't understand. And we say, God, why am I suffering? Why am I going through this? Why is this so hard? Why is my spirit crushed? Why am I broken? And God says, it's complicated. It's, it's difficult for me to explain. I mean, no, one of the things about a child is everything's simple. Just do this, just do that. You know, somebody was talking to me yesterday about our building. Like, hey, why don't you just build a building? I'm like, well, it's complicated. It's complicated. There's lots of things that you have to think about before you do th- certain things. And how many you know there was a movie, and I don't remember what it was called, but, but, but the guy thought he could be God. And for a day, he was able to be God and whatever. Yeah. So anyway, he just grants everything. Just grants everything. Yeah, 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 help the sick, help this, help that, help this, help that. And suddenly the whole world just gets all out of whack. And see, that's how we are. We're simple in our minds. And we say, God should have done this. God should have done that. God should have done it this way. God should have done that way. And God says, my ways are way above your ways. And I can't. Pull you away from what you're going through, but I'm going to be with you through it. And sometimes we're so mad at God because of the circumstances. Sometimes we're so mad at God, and God would would love, you know, to just make everything perfect, but the circumstances are very complicated in this world. There's things that God has to accomplish in every little detail in this world. And sometimes we're so mad at God that when we're in that place, we don't even find Him. We're so mad at God that I don't even want to hear from you, God. Why did you not do it the way I told you to do it? Why did you make me go through this? Why did you do this? And Jeremiah finds himself in this place, and what can God do? God sent almost every prophet before the destruction of Jerusalem to warn them, I'm a God who loves you. I'm a God who loves you. I'm a God who loves you. Please do not sin. Please do not sin. Please do not sin. And over and over, God lovingly Tells him, you are my wife. Be faithful. Love me. 
And God didn't want anything bad to happen to that nation. How many know that's true? God does the same thing to us. He doesn't want anything to happen to a single person in this world. He wants them to be blessed. And so he tells them all the way through, don't, don't, don't. I want to bless you. I want to bless you. I want to bless you. They rebel. They rebel. They rebel. Judgment comes. Oh, my goodness. What's happened here with the judgment? The judgment's here. God said, I warned you. I didn't want it to happen. Judgment comes. And then right in the middle of the judgment, I find in Jeremiah 33... God's still trying to bless them. He says in Jeremiah 33, the promise of restoration. While Jeremiah was still confined in the courtyard of the guard, the word of the Lord came to him a second time. This is what the Lord says who made the earth. The Lord has formed it and established it. The Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says about the houses in the city and the royal palaces of Judah that have been torn down. They've been used against you as siege ramps and the sword and the fight with the Babylonians. They will be filled with dead bodies of men I will slay. My anger and wrath, I will hide my face from this city because of the wickedness. So God was hiding and retreating because they would not listen to God. But then God comes in and says after that, Nevertheless, that's a big nevertheless. All this rebellion against me, do you, do you have any idea how wicked their behavior was? I mean, it was, just look at America and you'll have an idea how much a nation can turn their back on God. He said, but nevertheless, I will bring health and healing to it. I will heal my people. I will let them enjoy abundant peace and security. I will bring Judah and Israel back. I will rebuild them as they were before. I will cleanse them from all their sin they've committed against me, and I will forgive all their sins of rebellion against me. Then this city will bring me renown, joy, praise, honor, all nations on earth that hear of all the good things I do for it, and they they will be in awe and they will tremble, and abundant prosperity and peace I will provide for it. This is what the Lord says. You say about this place, it's desolate waste without men or animals, yet... The towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem, they are deserted. Inhabitants, neither men nor animals, are heard once more. The, uh, there will be heard, they will be heard once more. The sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of the bride and the bridegroom, the voices of those who thank offerings to the house of the Lord, saying, Give thanks to the Lord Almighty, for He is good. His love endures forever. I will restore your fortunes of the land as they were before, says the Lord. And it goes on and on about His promises. Now, what kind of God would do that? They've turned their back on him. They've rebelled. They've refused to even know him. They were wicked beyond all wickedness. And this is like the person that walks into this place. And they've been totally rebellious against God. They've lived whatever life they wanted to live, and they've dragged themselves into the presence of God in that place of brokenness. And their lives have been broken. Their bodies have been broken. And God just speaks promises over them. I'll restore you. I will bless you. I'll bring joy to you. I'll bring happiness to you. I will bless you beyond anything so the whole world will know that I blessed you and God is good. You see what kind of God we serve? He's promising blessing in the place where we're broken. 
And for whatever reason, we're there. Maybe it's the world around us. Maybe it's us personally. No matter what it is, he's hunting down the brokenhearted to bring promises to their life. Job. Job is a good example. For whatever reason, we don't know the reasons why. We just know Job's life was never able to be touched. There was a hedge of protection around Job that nothing could ever be touched in Job's life. He was so blessed by God. For whatever reason, that hedge went down for a moment. And by the time it was done, whatever happened in Job's life, whatever reason we don't understand, Job doesn't understand the reason. Job is angry at God. He's shaking his fist and saying, God, come down here and tell me what this is. Job would never leave his faith. He would never curse God and leave God. He was still faithful. But he just kept saying, God, you better come down here and tell me what's happening to me. I don't understand it. I don't understand it, and I don't understand it. I don't know that you can understand why it happened from reading the book. There's a lot of things we can speculate, but the whole reason it happened, we don't know because God doesn't tell us. And here is uh, Job. Job's been deserted by everybody. His friends give him bad advice. His wife tells him he has bad breath and to die. He doesn't want to live anymore. He's just broken hearted. His body is sick from head to toe. He's lost all of his money. He's lost his children. Everything is just terrible in his life right now. And he's laying on a pile of ashes, scraping sores off of his body. And God's looking for him. Because God says, I will come down, Job. And it says that he came down in a whirlwind and found him in the spot of the brokenhearted. And he began to tell Job, he said, Job, ask me your questions. I want to answer everything that has happened to you in your life, Job. And he's like, oh boy, perfect. And God said, but, you've got to watch that. Brace yourself like a man. You're going to wrestle with God first. You're going to answer my questions. And then when you've done that, then I'll answer every question that you have. Fair deal? Job's like, okay. So God began for four chapters to ask him questions that no man can answer. Job, where were you at when I was on the bottom of the ocean, making sure everything functioned properly? Where were you at when I created the stars? Where were you at when I laid out the oceans, when I created the heavens, I created the earth? Where were you when that little donkey in the middle of the desert had a baby and I was there to deliver it? Where were you when I was uh, taking care of that flower in the middle of a desert that nobody sees? They began to ask questions. Where were you when I made this constellation that nobody at the time could even see without a microscope or without a telescope? He asked some questions that are beyond anything that Job could ever know. There's no way that he could answer the questions. And what God was trying to say, Job comes back, And Job begins to repent. And he says, God, I'm sorry. Your ways are way above my ways. I can't understand. And Job decided within himself that I don't need to know. I don't need to know the answers to my questions. And God lifted him up out of that place, set him back on solid ground and began to bless his life again. How many know that God is maturing us 
in that place. God is taking us to a place where he can teach us. He can put his arm around us and he's just sometimes all God can say is, it has to be. How many have ever heard that from God? The still, small voice like Elijah said, it has to be. 